Hello and welcome to episode 98 of the Critical Twits podcast where today we take a look at forgotten science fiction classic movie thing, Snowpiercer. Movie yeah. thing's a real word. Concept. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Cue music. Another episode of the Critical Twits. I'm Brian Ennis. And I'm Aaron Vinsky. And I'm using like a weird voice at the moment. I'll dial it down a notch. You've got, yeah, you're definitely getting a radio voice going. Radio, hi. Uh, yeah, today we're going to do another Twit Flicks where we analyse a piece of nerd. Uh, you have a piece of literature. It's yeah. just a nerd movie, isn't it? It's a nerd film. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of. I don't really know what Nerd I'm cinematography. Yeah, we're going to... Um, that's that's a piece of cinematography. Where are you in a crisis, Aaron? Yeah, we're going to take a look at Forgotten Classic or... There's a weird story, a weird tale behind the film Snowpiercer. Mm. Um, sort of off screen. Uh, so we're going to take a look at that. Now, many people listen to us for our uh, gaming coverage. Uh, do not despair. We have been doing all sorts of other things to do with uh, games. We've been doing lots of video game stuff. Uh, so there's some cool indie game Let's Plays that we've been releasing at the moment. We've done A Case of Distrust recently. Yep. We've done Cuphead. We've got Portal Bridge Builder in the works, if I ever get round to it. There's all sorts of other things we've been playing. Yeah. Uh, and we will get there. Uh, more Necro Dancer as well, because I yes. enjoyed that. And we have also recently published a mini review of Suburbia on our Friday night gaming vlogs. Yep. That Aaron quite kindly did when the rest of us were snowed in. Well, you were snowed in. I think the yeah. rest of us were okay, but you were kind of snowed in in a windmill somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you just rotate the blades of your windmill really quickly yeah, and create some kind of draft to either push the snow away or to heat it up? Can you not generate enough torque? <laughs> no, not by myself, no. I only know that word because I went to an engineering place as part of my main job today and learned about torque. Ooh. Well, you know more than most car reviewers, then. Yeah, it's a rotational force. Yes. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Excellent. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, Snowpiercer, which is a, a movie that came out in 2013. Mm. And there is a bit of a wibbly-wobbly story behind it. Now, it's based on a French comic, as in... One of them, their books with pictures and words, not a comedian. Yes. Uh, called Le Transpersonage. Oh, well done. Yeah. Which I don't think I pronounce right. No, you're not far off. It's all right. Oh, do you want to do you want to go for it then? No, I can't say it. I'm oh. the same as you, but I've heard it pronounced because yeah. I watched a documentary on it. Ah, cool, brilliant. <laughs> um, by uh, Jacques Lob and Jean-Marc Rocher. Yes. Um, there actually there have been uh, four. Um, comics in the series in total. I say comics, they're graphic novels in the series. Um, although the later three had a different writer. Mm. Um, and the the movie shares its central conceit with the comics. Yeah. That of there being a single train left in the entire world going around a world that has become snowbound. Mm -hmm. uh, so kind of like an ice age. Yeah. And it's about the people that live... So the sole surviving members of humanity that live on this train um, that caroons around the world endlessly sort of lapping yeah. 
um, the Earth. One rotation a year. One rotation a year, yeah. That's almost too convenient to be true, isn't it? <laughs> we should totally work out exactly how fast it's going. I don't really fancy doing that much maths. Although it doesn't... Because it, is it going around the equator? Because that would be a longer way around the... And if you were to go around near the, the top, top, right? Because of yeah. it being a sphere? Yes. I've got that right, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. It's not a sphere, though. It's like an it's, obloid it's spheroid yeah. or something. Yeah. Answers on a postcard. <laughs> the, the basic premise is the same, but the specifics are different. Now, Aaron... If you could turn your head for the audience and look up above you, there is a copy of the first graphic novel up there, Ooh. Um, which I've not read. <laughs> I didn't realise you've got that. Awesome. Yeah, I've had that for years. And yeah. I'll talk a little bit about Snowpiercer and my own personal journey. Oh, okay. I'll be touching, mate. I'll be touching. Oh. don't know why I'm using that voice. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you know this. Now, the film, as I said, the, the, sorry, the comic uh, graphic novel uh, originally came out in 1982. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snowpiercer the film came out in 2013 and in January 2018 so only a couple months ago TNT the American TV network not the explosive thing that people <laughs> use for fishing and mining and uh, I, don't, I don't think there's a specific American brand for that but is there yeah. not yeah try nitrate tudonitdium I don't know <laughs> um, they have ordered a full TV series of Snowpiercer Interesting. Yeah, which I didn't know until I was researching no. for this particular podcast. Um, it will be showrun by Graham Manson, who's known as the co-creator, writer and executive producer of Orphan Black. Oh, OK. Yeah. I know nothing about Orphan Black. I've seen a good, good chunk of Orphan Is it about Black. war crimes in Africa? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at the point where I watched it. Jesus Christ, Ryan. <laughs> it's going to start... David Diggs from Hamilton. I've not seen Hamilton. No. Uh, but it's quite the big cultural event across that there pond. Because if you people haven't guessed by now, we are British folk. Um, Based in Britain, not emigrated to America. And... No, no. Wouldn't have us, I don't think. No. <laughs> we have no marketable skills. But it stars Jennifer motherfucking Connolly. Really? Yes. She's been confirmed to be in it done much since ever <laughs> so jennifer Connolly is in like three of my favorite films ever <laughs> yeah but they're not very, very recent are well they? in the 80s she was in labyrinth yes i've, I've done a bit more Connolly research <laughs> um and i feel she was responsible for an awakening with me as a child <laughs> yeah a little bit <laughs> yeah um she was then um at the turn of the millennium in Requiem for a Dream, which is one of the most horrible films I've ever watched. It's gloriously miserable. Have you ever seen it? No, we should not. To- oh, we should totally do like a miserable film thing. I'll get you to <laughs> watch cast. Requiem for a Dream, Irreversible and Martyrs. Yay. And then, and then just hold you. And just have an hour-long podcast of you crying. Um, she's also in A Beautiful Mind. Oh, okay. Um, as Russell Crowe's wife. Long-suffering wife, bless her. She's very good in that. Um, she's in Blood, Blood Diamond with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah. She? yeah, I forgot about that. And she was in a film that I really like, but I don't think anyone else did. Dark Water, the uh, the horror film um, about the woman who moves into a flat and it, like, floods. She's got a kid. 
and there's a there's a like a Japanese. I think it's based on a Japanese horror film. Oh yeah, I know the one you mean. I've seen. I think I've. It's something to do with um, a water tower and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So they're throwing a bit of uh, of weight behind this. So it seems like a good opportunity to go back and look at the film. Mm. Now. Uh, Snowpiercer was, as I said, came out in 2013. Uh, it was directed by Bong Joon Ho. Bong Joon Ho, thank you, because I can't tell, because it's gone, this isn't a real word, and underlined it, I can't tell if it's <laughs> an H or a B. Um, written by him and Kelly Masterson. Yes. Um, it took seven years to go from being optioned to actually appearing on the screen and it was Oof. the same director working all the way through so passion project um, yeah and then he was really annoyed and was like I never want to do anything like this it's going to make something little I can't um, to be honest with you with the stuff that we're going to tell you about I can't blame them at yeah. all it is probably the only Czech Korean film starring lots of English actors that I've ever seen <laughs> uh, yes. it's filmed in the Czech Republic the director and some of the cast are Korean a lot of the money was Korean yeah it cost 40 million dollars it's one of the most, I think it's still the most expensive Korean-made film ever. ever. Yeah, and it made eighty-six million pound uh, dollars. Sorry, at the box office, mm. um, and it starred an absolutely amazing cast. Yeah. Um, so it's got Chris Pratt. Hello, Brian from the future here. I said Chris Pratt when I meant to say Chris Evans. Apparently, there's a difference between them, and they're not the same person. Consider this a correction. Bye. Who is now? He's one of them superheroes, isn't he? Captain America. He's Captain America. He's like a proper movie star, right? Yeah. Is this round about the same time that he was Captaining America, or? Yeah, actually, I think it's around that same period that mm. he started off to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, he was a big name at that point. Yeah. So so it's got him. It's got Tilda Swinton, who's a yeah. favourite of mine, an absolutely amazing actress. Yeah. Um, have you seen? Um, we need to talk about Kevin. I've not seen that yet, but it's on my list of things I really, 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 really want to watch. It stars uh, Jamie Bell. Yep. Or um, oh, that dancing kid, Billy <laughs> Elliot. Yeah. Um, he's had a weird career since Billy Elliot because he's yeah, done he has. he's done like bits and pieces here and there, and then he was in Nymphomaniac, <laughs> yeah. um, directed by Lars von Trier. Yeah, I quite I... like Jamie Bell. I think he's quite pretty. Uh, it has John Hurt. Yeah. The famous. John Hurt. Yeah. Uh, Ed Harris is in this film. Um, Octavia Spencer. So she was in The Help um, and various other... And she's in The Shape of the Water, which is where I've seen her recently. Ah, The Shape of Water. That is that the one that's just won loads of Oscars? Yes. Yes. It has Ewan Bremner, Spud, from Trainspotting. <laughs> um, it has Song Kang Ho, who's apparently a big deal in Korea. Yeah. I don't really know much about that, I have to admit. Uh, yeah, I don't know um, if I've seen him in anything else. And it also has, we uh, we live in the Fens, which is a boggy and flat place. Yeah. Um, and it stars Peterborough's very own Luke Pasqualino um, as as the muscle-bound bodyguard of John Hurt. <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't recognise him until about three quarters of the way through the film. Uh, he's in Skins. And he's a very good actor, actually. I, yeah. I, I think he's very good. He's been in like, another one of these like, potted careers and just sort of turning up in weird places that you don't really expect. He's quite funny, actually, in a lot of his other stuff. Yeah. So we've got to give a shout out to Luke. Yeah. Like a proper, proper cast. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a lot of very good actors. Yeah. But it only, it only made 
86 million dollars Aaron yeah do you know why it only made that much money well I don't know all the details so I'm hoping you'll fill me in yeah but I know it wasn't released properly no so it was released had a proper release in Korea yeah uh, where it made most of its money um, it had a delayed release in America and was initially only released in eight theatres why I hear you ask across the power of the internet at the table, because that's really confusing. Table. Yeah, so it was uh, bought up to be distributed in America by Harvey Weinstein of the Weinstein Corporation. Yay. Um, who has, since this happened, I don't think it's anything to do with this, but has been revealed to be an absolute prick of a man. Yeah. Fuck him. Yeah, just, yeah. just on the record, we don't like him. No. He wanted 20 minutes of footage to be chopped out. And opening and closing monologues to be added to simplify the film. And it gives me oh. vibes of Blade Runner. Yeah. With like the, the weird o the narration over the top of Blade Runner. Yeah. Our test audience didn't like it, put this on. Yeah. That was four people the audience said, oh, I don't think I understand. There was uh, a petition called Free Snowpiercer. Yeah. To, uh, to have it released uncut. Um, and it was eventually released in its uncut form, but by a different company, which meant it only got the eight cinemas to start with. Mm -hmm. A couple of weeks later, it got very positive reviews, so they put it in over 150 theatres, but that's still not a lot in no. America. Now, mm. since then, it has been out on DVD, Blu-ray and Netflix in America, but it still has, as of recording in March 2018, no UK release whatsoever. Yeah. Just ridiculous. I remember this happening. I remember this being a thing because I was really excited for this. I saw the trailer yeah. and went, this looks amazing. And I was waiting. I wanted to go and see this in the cinema because it looked like a proper sort of cinematic film. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of action films, but this looked more interesting than just an action film. Yes. But it still hasn't had a release over here. So I've had a Blu-ray copy of it for a mm. couple of years but by the time I was able to actually track one down and buy it and get it like shipped across many turbulent seas mm. um, it kind of just went in a pile and didn't get watched because uh, my enthusiasm had died yeah well that was the problem with the delayed cinema release as well yeah. they had all the hype built up for it and then it didn't actually and, turn up so yeah people... you just get that wah, wah, wah. Mm. yeah a few weeks ago I was looking for something to watch picked it up at the pile of DVDs and Blu-rays and such like. Yep. And went, I'll give this a go. Um, I was with my lady friend. Uh, we watched it, and then I immediately went, Aaron, Aaron, you've got to watch this film. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. In, in our native land, it's kind of an unknown quantity. It's never had a proper release. It's never really been seen. No, um, I think it's got a little bit of a cult following. Yeah, and in America, it kind of had a flat pop mm. of a release. I think this is the kind of film that's destined to become like a cult classic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's really weird actually because half that cast are British. Yeah. And yet it's not had a British release. Yeah. It's really odd. It's really strange to me. And it's got really marketable star in Chris Pratt. Evans, not Pratt. Bugger. I mean, yeah. he's like, like his stuff makes a lot of box office. Yeah, people will pick it up just because it's got his name on it. Yeah. yeah, but you know, movie movie company politics kind of killed it, I think. Yeah, which um, is bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but well done to uh, to to director Bong, as apparently the cast called him. Yeah, um, his first English language film. Yeah, and just completely refused to play ball and was like, no, nope, not cutting it. No, no, I spent seven years making this. Yeah, suck my dick. Good. I don't think he said suck my dick. I think I've 
I've added the dick to this equation. Possibly. Um, I mean, as far as libel purposes are concerned, we assume not. No. But I like to think he did. It's a nice image. In Korean, obviously, not in English. He might. He's, he was directing in English. I assume he's quite good at Yeah, I think he's bilingual, yeah. yeah. What we'll, we'll do, for those who haven't seen it, we will continue to sell you on it for the next couple of minutes. And then when we start talking in terms of spoilers um, and analysing in great depth, we'll let you know before we do that. So you can rush off, uh, watch it and then come back. As I said, it's a science fiction film. Yeah. Kind of post-apocalyptic. Yes. There is a lot of action. It's actually quite violent in places. Yeah, yeah. It's also one of the funniest things I've ever seen. In places, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I came up with three reasons why you should watch this film. Cool. I feel it, it's, it's an intelligent action film. It's not just about stuff blowing up in a series of set pieces. It does have stuff blowing up and it does have set, set pieces. But it also has a bit of thought behind it. Mm-hmm. It has an interesting plot. Yes. You know, you don't get many clever action films. It's also, reason number two, one of the funniest and most fucking weird things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It is so strange. <laughs> it is not like anything else. No. It's hard to really describe because it's it's something that should be really jarring, mm. but it seems to fit. Yeah, it's it's ever so slightly off kilter. It's ever so slightly odd. It's worth watching for Tilda Swinton's character alone, mm. who is basically a fur-coated Margaret Thatcher clone with a Lancashire accent. Yeah. Um, and like giant teeth, like proper giant teeth, yeah. like a huge, great, big um, overbite and the proper kind of Thatcher Bob. Yeah. Um, who's both sinister and ridiculous at the exact same time. Yes. You mentioned to me, he's like, oh, this is, you know, this seems really, really odd. This is sort of slightly peculiar character. Yeah. Kind of thing. And then mentioned to me that she's based on a teacher she's school had. teacher she had yeah, yeah and i went yeah i had one exactly like that as well it didn't feel at all out of place it made me laugh but it also made me disturbed as anything sort of reminded me of a teacher that was identical to that yeah like behavior and mannerisms and yeah. attitude as well it seems comical from an outside perspective but it's really sinister yeah was there like a spate of people from lancashire just migrating south to educate youth <laughs> is, that, is that something that happened i mean i think she's from up up north somewhere, yeah. isn't she? So yeah, yeah. maybe not for her. Yeah, it's very odd. It's very off kilter. There's some. It, it's normally I use this phrase as a criticism. Yeah, but I mean it as a compliment in this sense. It's tonally inconsistent. Yes. Um, it's not afraid to be to sort of poke fun at things, but it's also really fucking dark. Yeah. Places as well. Well, I find I found that none of those bits that were initially tonally inconsistent had this. Slightly dark undertone to yes, them all yeah. the whole, whole way through. Yeah, so I, I think that's why it didn't feel so jarring because initially it did. Yeah. And then you start looking at the layers underneath it and go, oh, oh, shit. Fucking hell, yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the third one was that, I mean, I've mentioned that it's clever, but I, I genuinely I genuinely came away from this film, to my third reason, feeling like I'd kind of, I kind of had a moral conundrum. Mm. Um, and it's because the film has its protagonists and it has its villains and you root for a certain side but it's one of those kind of grey films where actually it made me think about where my allegiances lied yeah um and after after the spoiler warning um we'll talk about that a bit more and i thoroughly enjoyed it yeah yeah. um it's a really quotable film actually (laughs) there's little bits 
that have stuck in my head. There's a couple quotes. I wouldn't, wouldn't want to ruin them for anyone because they kind of come out of left field. <laughs> yeah, and they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. There's there's certain phrases that uh, myself and my lady friend have been saying to each other ever since we watched it <laughs> because it's just kind of lodged in my brain. Yeah. Um, and I know nerds love that shit. I have to quote their films and show yeah, yeah. off. Um, if you haven't watched Snowpiercer, just know we, it has our seal of approval. It mm. has our recommendation. It's just over two hours long. Yeah. Um, could probably do with about 20 minutes chopping out actually um, a bit you know a bit of explanation at either end uh, just to make it make sense but no it's uh, it's a great it's a great film um, highly recommend it if you're into um, a bit of philosophy in your film a bit of action yeah um, then uh, then give it a try this is where the spoilers will begin um, and we'll talk a little bit more um, about it so um if you haven't watched it, off you fuck, come back later. Yes. The premise then. Mm. The Earth has gone all frozen-like. Yes. Do you know why? Because uh, global warming was becoming such a serious issue, they created a gas CC273. Yeah. Something like that, anyway. I might, If I'm exactly on it, I'm going to be so happy. Which they released into the atmosphere in order to try and soak up some of the CO2, in order yeah. to um, reverse the effects. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it was too efficient and blocked out the sun and supercooled the planet, which turned it into a frozen tundra. Yes. But luckily, this chap um, called Wilford, yes, uh, an industrialist, had bravely created a super train that could travel all the way around the world initially to deliver medicine. Yeah, I think that yeah. was the reason. Um, for it. And it has a, an engine that can carry on forever. Yeah. In theory. What do we think of that as a premise, first of all? I think it's interesting because, uh, like, we've had Ice Ages, and yeah. Ice Age is an actual thing. And it's interesting that we were trying to fix a problem using technology and we fucked the planet, but technology saved people. Yeah. That's quite a complex idea, isn't it? Because yeah, you could be nice. like, you could be like, I, I read an article where a guy was like, this film is incredibly critical of the climate change hoax. And it was like, <laughs> These like the alt right people getting a bit excited that it was like it went wrong, and it was yeah. like that's because climate change isn't real. No, they no. didn't at all say that. No, it's not they what they said at all. It was definitely happening and needed something to be done about it. It just didn't go Maybe right. Maybe it didn't go right because it wasn't really happening, Aaron. Maybe that's what they were trying to say. Illuminati confirmed. <laughs> I think it shows his age a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, possibly, because. The concept of having a train able to deal with that process yeah, seems a little silly. Well, I, I use the train system here in the UK a lot. <laughs> and quite often, I don't even get to where I need to go. Now, we do have to remember this is based on a French comic. And in France, the trains do run reasonably well. Mm. Their train's government owned. Because Wilford's train, he's a private industrialist. Yeah. And actually, you could be saying, actually, it's saying that the government's fucked the planet yeah. and the brave industrialists saved it. It's a bit like an Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand thing. Yeah. A bit like Atlas Shrugged. A little Is bit. Is it Atlas Shrugged where the they gas a train full of um, peasants and everyone rejoices and it's really good because they weren't doing anything economically? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fucking amazing book and philosophy and premise. I'm not keen on Ayn Rand. No, I, I think um, Ayn fucking shocking she's a really bad writer but she's also possibly an evil person <laughs> yes but yeah. but but 
uh, oh, maybe I, that's not a thing. But she's an incredibly hypocritical person. Oh, because yeah. Because she was like, you must be self-sufficient in any kind of government aid. is charity, and charity is weakness. Um, and pandering to people's weaknesses that means that they never get to be strong and you'll ruin that person forever and they're a burden on society and if they can't make it, well, fuck them, they'll die in a hole. Yeah. And then she got a bit poor at the end of her life and got loads of, like, Medicaid and food stamps and shit. Yep. It's like, just fucking crawl in a hole. Mm-hmm. So her entire philosophy is bollocks as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. She can't live by uh, her own philosophy, fucker. Yeah. No, don't, don't fuck. She don't deserve no dick. <laughs> <laughs> As a conceit, we talked in our very first Twitflix, mm. um, when we talked about Ghost in the Shell, we talked about the difference between hard and soft science fiction. Mm. This doesn't feel very probable. No. So it feels kind of like a metaphor. Yes. Like we're going to be exploring how societies work and it's kind of a nice cool conceit to mm-hmm. dump a microcosm yeah. and then have characters that are capable of changing the world because the world is one train. Yeah. Um, so it puts it to me in the um, in the realm of soft science fiction rather than hard science fiction. Yeah, I'd, I'd argue with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, what's this film about? Obviously, it's about some passengers on this train who yeah. don't like their situation and want to go to the front, from the back of the train to the front of the train to change it, which you probably should have said earlier. Uh, but what's it really about then? What's it all about? <laughs> it's it's about what is necessary to survive in some respect yes yeah i think that comes in more towards the end yeah and we'll maybe come to that in a bit uh, there's definitely a class element to it yeah so i was immediately like this is about class war yes and freedom versus tyranny yeah that was like my immediate kind of thing mm-hmm. um and it was all about order versus chaos yeah because order generally is quite oppressive Yes. Because you have to act in a certain way, you have to do certain things. And you've got these people, you start with the people at the back of the train mm-hmm. who have fuck all. Yeah. Uh, and lots of it. Yes. Actually, they don't even have a lot of it, do they? <laughs> no, they've got very little of it, yeah. Have I told the story about the people who were so poor in my D&D campaign that they couldn't afford the free items from the book? <laughs> yeah. And it really upset my players that they couldn't arm an army of peasants with sticks. Because <laughs> you get a stick in D&D for free. And I was like, no, there's no trees. They live in a city. Like, can they use chair legs? Like, there's not enough chairs. There's not enough chairs. They just lean mostly. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you could have at least four chair, uh, you know, four people armed per chair. That's really depressing for not enough chairs. It's more a club, isn't it, than a quarter staff? <laughs> Pens up at the fucking chair, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's true. If you've got a high chair, high if you're stealing yeah. from babies, yeah, you're fine. Like a bar stool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what an odd tangent. Right. <laughs> Back to your regularly scheduled programming. Um, yeah. Um, I've got down it is about what we do to survive. And I think there's also a heavy element of religion and faith. Yes. And I think all of those things are summed up by the appearance right near the beginning of Tilda Swinton's character, Mason. Yeah. And her speech, which I have copied down, if you'd like to hear me give it, but not in a, in a Lancastrian, Lancastrian yet accent. Yeah, go for it. Okay. I, won't, I won't. So a shoe has been thrown at her. Yes. Uh, and the uh, the peasanty type people at the back of the train are on the verge of revolt. And she said, she holds the shoe up and she says, this is one of those quotable lines. This is not a shoe. This is disorder. This is size 10 chaos. See this? This is death. It's brilliant. It made me laugh so much. Yeah. Um, 
It's ridiculous, and yet her character really feels, seems to believe it. Yes. In this locomotive that we call home, there is one thing that's between our warm hearts and the bitter cold. Nice bit of antithesis there. Clothing, shields, no. Order. Order is the barrier that holds back the frozen death. We must, all of us on this train of life, remain in our allotted station. We must, each of us, occupy our preordained particular position. Would you wear a shoe on your head? Of course you wouldn't wear a shoe on your head. A shoe doesn't belong on your head. A shoe belongs on your foot. A hat belongs on your head. I am a hat. You are a shoe. I belong on the head. You belong on the foot. <laughs> Order, chaos, your predetermined place in life, staying where, not getting ideas above your station, being happy with where you are. Yeah. The idea that things fall apart if people don't do what they're supposed to do. And if you have mm. um, dreams and goals and ambitions, you will upset that system. Yes. Um, so she continues to say, in the beginning, order was prescribed by your ticket. First class, economy and freeloaders like you. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where it starts to get a little bit weird, actually. It's kind of the first time this comes in. Eternal order is prescribed by the sacred engine. All things flow from the sacred engine. All things in their place. All passages in their section. All water flowing. All heat rising pays homage to the sacred engine in its own particular preordained position. So it is. So we've got the sacred engine. It's not just an engine, it's a sacred engine. Um, and this idea that of your particular position being preordained, that's destiny, that is God's will, that is that's how things should be. Yes. It reminds me a little bit of the, you know, the, the divine right of kings. Yeah. Um, you know, I am here in this position in the hierarchy. You are there, you are there, you are there. God has put us there. Yeah. Shut the fuck up and get on with it. Yeah. Dig me some turnips. You gap-toothed peasant bastard, you. <laughs> um, and then she says, the final bit of this is, now, as in the beginning, I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. When the foot seeks the place of the head, the sacred line is crossed. Know your place. Keep your place. Be a shoe. <laughs> I love the idea of telling people to be a shoe. Yeah, it's it's Durkheim's theory on uh, yeah, sociological theory is summed up in a in a shoe analogy. Well, then how how does Durkheim? It's, it is exactly the same thing. Is that society? Because he was examining suicide rates. Yeah. Um, I think particularly between Protestants and Catholics. Okay. Why the why Protestants? Had, there was more suicide with Protestant populaces and Catholic populaces and uh, essentially it was because there wasn't a shared ideal so much in those communities whereas Catholicism has a very a lot stronger set of rigid rules and placements of where you are in society and what you're supposed to do yeah. effective discipline things like that and so yeah. the instant that is lacking society breaks down yeah um, it's been usually sort of yeah that's, that's crap that doesn't work like that kind Dirkheim of Dickheim more like eh <laughs> eh <laughs> But on, yeah, a little bit. I don't think like um, Anne Rand was coming from necessarily a hugely as, as a negative position as she was doing. He was more concerned with I don't like these people feeling so put out and isolated that they feel suicides are only yeah. option. But yeah, it's very reductionist. Really. Yeah. 
And this is an example of the weird tone of the film. Because mm. this is actually saying something quite profound. Yeah. Halfway through this, when she says, would you wear a shoe on your head? She puts a shoe on a man's head. <laughs> yeah. A man who is in the middle of being tortured by having his arm stuck outside the train. It is both dark and funny at the same time. Yeah. And it is hilarious and horrible yeah. all at once. Um, and I love it. It's yeah. amazing. It's so odd. Yeah. It's um, it's that kind of catch twenty two, but I don't mean like how it's come to mean. I mean the actual book. That kind of there is something really horrible and dark. Here's something quite funny, and here's something dark again. Yes. So you're kind of sort of ebbing up and down, yeah. and questioning why you're laughing at certain yeah, things. Yeah, it's like the Nietzschean thing of the tragedy and absurdity. Yeah, if you if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Yeah, things are things are horrible and things are ridiculous. So you can choose to embrace either side yeah um but things are things are ridiculous because they're so horrible and yes. things are horrible because they're ridi- they're ridiculous and there's no meaning yeah um <laughs> cheerful <laughs> it was a happy um, soul so this set me up this is right near the beginning this set me up for a film of rooting for the common people yeah who we get to like yes um we've got chris evans as curtis uh, who's kind of like our everyman hero uh, to start with. Yeah. He's just yeah. a bloke, isn't he? Yeah, it's what he's <laughs> set up to be. We've got John Hurt, who's like the kindly old grandfather with yeah. missing limbs and needs to be helped around. Yeah. We've got Edgar. Bizarrely, Edgar's got an Irish accent. And later on, we find out he was raised on the train. Yeah. And no one else has an Irish accent. So why is... Especially as Jamie Bell is not Irish. Yeah. Yeah, it's not Jamie O'Bell. I, <laughs> no, I think, I think it was trying to imply because a lot of the other, you know, there's there's one of the other characters speaks French during one point. Yeah. You've got people speaking Korean. I think it's to imply that the people on the train are from all over the place. Yeah, they, they aren't from a particular area of the world. They do is the entire world in this train. Yeah, yeah. So you've got this kind of yeah. cosmos. I suppose it's to try and give a little bit of variety to the accents. And maybe. I, su- I suppose we've got we've got. Mason, but then when we've got Ed Harris's character, we've got Wilford, we've got most of the people at the front of the train are white American people. Mm-hmm. We've got at the back of the train, we've got Irish, we've got French, we've got Octavia Spencer, mm-hmm. who is black. So we've got kind of a more multicultural, diverse, we've got the Korean um, codebreaker characters. They're, they're a little, bit, they're a little the bit further up. Yeah, but yeah. They've been banished kind of to the back and we they they come in later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're they're but also yeah. with the, the proletariat, if you like. Yes. So we've kind of got again a kind of a reflection of American hegemony. Yeah. Hegemony. Hegemony is the yeah. word. I was definitely rooting for them. There's a little bit at the end. We're going to be skipping about now, but um, Wilford says to Curtis when Curtis finally makes it, he says, Curtis, everyone has their preordained position and everyone is in their place except for you, you little fucking dirty scrope bastard cock. <laughs> I may have embellished. <laughs> Paraphrased, yeah. um, <laughs> Curtis says, that's what people in the best place say to the people in the worst place. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. That is how society works. Yes. The people at the top say, well, don't get out your position. Have have a little thing and it'll be fine. Yeah. Have a, have a crumb. Have a little bit of this. Have a little bit of that from the, the table. That kind of sums up my... the way I see the world. Yeah, yeah. In that the world isn't fair, the world isn't equal. No. And there are people at the top who just 
don't want to share no. and don't have the empathy or the understanding to know what it's like for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it annoys me that the people at the bottom don't just rise up and just rip the shit out of them motherfuckers. Yeah, to be honest. I must not hate violence, to be honest with you. Yeah, the world is yeah, Maybe not through violence, but if we all just went fuck off and sat down. Yeah. Well, no, we'd all probably die, actually. We'd, we'd be kettled to death. Yeah. With actual kettles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? You've got the... Um, there are the riot police guys with their shields and their truncheons at, yeah. at one point, which I think was very specifically like, yeah. this is a thing that happens. But, but why is the, why is the only train that's left got all these things? Yeah. Because... They must have bought them on knowing that this would happen because they don't make that. They don't make any of that. They can't get off the train and check anything. It just keeps moving. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? So they knew this was going to happen and they've made provision to oppress and yes. to keep people. So they know it's going to go bad. And that's part of it yeah. as the film goes on. Yeah, I love that the whole thing kicks off when Curtis thinks that they don't have bullets in their guns, Yeah, pulls the gun up, clicks the trigger, they're bluffing. And everything kicks off. Yeah, because they'd had a previous uprising. Yeah, that loads of them died before then, and they think they'd emptied, they'd used all the bullets on killing them previously. Yeah, and it looked like he was right. It was interesting that later on they were like, "Oh, this one's gone too far," and they pull out the bullets. Yeah, and they're like, "Well, actually, no, we can deal with this." Bang, 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 bang. Yeah, uh, but it doesn't work uh, because the sheer weight of numbers. Yeah, just seems to carry the. Uh, the yeah. good guys through yeah, essentially yeah. every time they mow down it just waves over so this is good this is my kind of film I'm really enjoying this um, and just to go slightly off off the trail it's beautifully shot yes it's a really really good looking film yeah it is whenever anything does this because other things have done it since but it does the thing that I first saw mm-hmm in Old Boy, mm. where it has lots of stuff. All the fights seem to happen from left to right. The proletariat on the left, the oppressors on the right. Yeah. Um, and the director has said that that's a deliberate thing to always to try to have that as much as possible, mm-hmm. that movement from left to right. They're progressing up the train. They're getting somewhere. Yes. Um, so it's all nearly always that way round. And yeah. most, uh, you know, a lot of the shots are almost like you just slice the side off the, uh, the train. Yeah. And they're quite wide shots as well, actually. Yes, they are, yeah. And it just looks amazing. I've seen Daredevil um, and later on... Actually, no, it was in Daredevil. Daredevil did it twice in a similar thing when they had the fighting in the corridor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, first one, Daredevil kind of gets into his first big punch-up yeah. with the, the gang that's got... They kidnapped a kid? Yes. And then a really nasty version of it where the Punisher is in jail. It's <laughs> one of my favourite action scenes ever. Oh, okay. It's horrible. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I seem to like horrible things. Yeah, yeah. Can I have a hug after this, Aaron? No. That's why I like horrible things. Miss <laughs> <laughs> <Not> that. <laughs> but um, yeah, the cinematography in it is, is stunning. Every shot does feel deliberate. And yeah. as if it's saying something or showing something, even if mm. you don't notice it. Yeah. I think I said to you it's got a bit of a slow burn at the beginning. Do you think it would have benefited, without you know taking sarcasm aside, from a quicker start or a little voiceover? No. No? No. This sounds stupid, but it felt like the pace picked up like a train would do as it accelerates. Okay. It's not so slow. Ooh, la da But no, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's, it gives you enough to get invested in these characters. It gives you enough to get invested in the world. Because it's a quite a different odd world to get used to. So you need to take a little bit of time to settle you into that. Yeah. Before it goes, cool, here's, here's what needs to happen now. Push. Everything goes forward. And it just yeah. starts picking the pace up and quicker and quicker. 
Yeah. I don't think a, a read-up at the start wouldn't have invested me at all. There was a, there was a little <sighs> read-up at the start about, the, you know, the end of the world kind of bit. Yeah, it was but it was me very to go, short. Cool, that's, yeah. I know what's happening there, cool. But to actually understand yeah. the dynamics in their little system... Yeah, yeah, and he, it felt he needed that. What do you think? Because we got we talked about the stellar cast. Tilda Swinton is amazing. Yes, um, I said kind of demented, ultimately self-serving Margaret Thatcher, who's kind of like this zealot until yeah. things go wrong, and then she changes, doesn't she? Yeah, it's maybe a bit like Ayn Rand, isn't it? She <laughs> yeah. has her beliefs and she believes in them and she espouses them, and then things go wrong, and she's like, "I'll just have to kill him and I'll be fine." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and turns on her god. Yeah, turns on her beliefs like like that. It's very yeah. quick. She kind of puts up a little bit of a thing, and she gets poked in the eye a little bit, and she yeah. just completely gives up. Yeah, yeah. probably because she's not used to it. She's got quite a. She's never had to push back on anything before. Yeah, she's had quite a, a spoiled life, I suppose. Yeah, I want to know what she did beforehand because they've been on this train for eighteen years, so she'd yeah. have been quite young when she got there. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were talking about Chris Evans. He's really bland, mate. He's, he's I, serviceable in this. Yeah, he's, as I said, I call him an everyman because he does that leading man thing of not being too much this way or too much that way. Yeah. So you can project yourself upon him at least until the, like, the last 20 minutes of the film. Yeah. Uh, where actually I think he was quite good. Yes. But I thought he was, he was a, there was lots of things of the camera zooming in on his face and he kind of like did a, tricky shit face <laughs> and a bit of Joey smell the fart acting yeah, and yeah. then he'd like run off and do a thing yeah and there was a bit too much of that I didn't really but, notice that too much okay. watching it through but yeah and I'd like to pull out an honourable mention for Song Kang Ho who seems to be in a completely different film <laughs> so they find him like 20 minutes in he's he's in a freezer <laughs> he's addicted to drugs they wake him up he wakes up his daughter um and he only talks in Korean. Yeah. So they have a little translator thing that they use on their throats and they can talk and that's fine. But he's just not like the rest of the people. He's just kind of floating around doing his own thing, not reacting in quite the right way. But he's also built up as a heavy u- drug user. Yeah. Train runoff they use as a drug. Yeah. Um, but, but because they worship the engine, it's kind of like, like inhaling a bit of God. Yeah. So is he kind of like a priest? He knows Just, how. Yeah, he, he knows, knows how, how the thing is structured. He can break the structures. Yes. Is he closer to God? Is he in some way divine? <laughs> it messed my head up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's just kind of spaced out. He's a little bit weird, a little bit strange, and yeah. I found that initially a little bit jarring, but yeah, actually yeah. quite interesting. As yeah, we, yeah. Go through. I really liked. I can't remember her name. The woman who's running the daycare for the kids. Oh yeah. And she's all. She's like. She's like a. Blue Peter presenter <laughs> yeah. on NDMA. She's just so happy and so hyperactive. And then when the fight kicks off and she pulls out a machine gun and she's just laughing and like got the proper Disney grin as she's mowing people down. Yeah. It was glorious. I really like that. Yeah. Again, dark humour. Yeah. Very dark humour. Yeah. It was the scene slightly before that when they're going past where some people had left the train seven years ago. Yeah. And look, you can see the, you can see their corpses there as we go past. <laughs> so these like four-year-old children are all going, oh, yay, corpses. Yeah. I yeah. really like the little girl in there as well. He was like, my mummy told me that the people at the back of the train are disgusting animals. <laughs> <laughs> but not in that voice, but I can't do posh American. 
It's not far off that. It's a little bit. I, was, I ended up a bit Mary Poppins there. It's a good film. It's got my interest. I'm kind of riveted. It's both funny and dark at the same time. Mm-hmm. There's a really odd bit where they all decide to eat some sushi for five minutes. When yeah. there's a fucking revolution on and they all just have a sit down for a bit. <laughs> yeah. That was weird. But That was really weird. It, yeah, it was odd. But I think under the circumstances, if I'd been in that position and suddenly got to somewhere where, oh, this is real food. I haven't had anything that wasn't a blue block of jello. But they weren't like going behind the counter and ripping all the food out and just no, stuffing it into their hungry mouths. Yeah. They, they were under, they were. Having a moment of feeling what it was like to be one of those people at that point in the train. But, but they're the people who are leading the revolution and they yeah. get they get to that place first and everyone else is kind of behind them. Yes. Are they taking on the mannerisms of the class which they wish to overthrow? A little bit. Or am I being a pretentious wanker? I no, I felt that way as watching that point. Yeah. It was like, at this point, are you trying to make things better or you, yeah. do you just want to be the people in that position? Yeah. Yeah. Do you not care if there are people underneath you? Because right now there are loads of corpses and people... Loads of people have died, yeah, aren't they? Dealing point, with lost yeah. loved ones and you're sitting there yeah. having a fancy meal. And that's one of the things... This film's got this amazing cast and then about halfway through it just starts to murder them yeah. one by one. Yeah. And sometimes, like, two at a time, just to save time. <laughs> and that was quite jarring as well because mm. I kind of expected the traditional three-act Hollywood structure. You're going to get certain characters get to the end. Yeah. And that, that definitely wasn't happening. No. No. And you start to get that really interesting contrast between the really gritty, grimy, cramped quarters at the beginning and the really nice and like elaborate train carriages right at the uh, right at the front. There's a wonderful colour contrast as that's, those scenes go on. Yeah. The back is yeah. dark and grimy and as the further they go on, the lighter everything starts getting. Yeah. And the, the bit at the end is all like white and gold isn't it yeah. yeah I'm kind of with them yes yeah. Um, and the tactics of the people at the front get worse mm-hmm. get nasty get more violent yeah as things go on you've got the riot guys but they don't have truncheons they have axes don't they yes and they're kind of like butchers yeah but with riot shields and then they bring out the guns and then he kind of sends his crazy guy to the back who starts murdering them up from behind under the guise of a like a festival that they have yeah yeah so life is kind of going on actually at the back for some of these people they're yeah. not all pushing forward no which is kind of the way of it isn't it like if you think of like there was this great revolution and the peasants overthrew the monarchy well some of them did some people were just like plowing the fields and doing whatever it is that peasants did cow tipping is that a thing that peasants do tilling Tilling. I've heard of that. Tilling, yes. tilling, tilling cows. Field, fields, is it? Fields? I thought it was cows. Cows. Tilling the cows and tipping the fields. Yes. Right, that's what you do, yeah. Because <laughs> if you tip them right, then the crops fall out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you've got to, if you're selling a cow, you've got to scan it through the till. Yeah. Yeah. Which is actually a nightmare in modern society, because getting that thing in the bagging area completely <laughs> for the weight transfer is, yeah. is, is, is hard, man. It's hard. Um, it's easier with zebras because they scan easier. So <laughs> um, I felt I knew where this was going. Yeah. And then it starts to get really horrible. Mm. Really, really horrible. And I think the moment where things start to go wrong and I started to feel really bad. And I mean this in a good way. I didn't know. I didn't like hate it. I like to be challenged. I yeah, like yeah. things that maybe aren't what they seem. Um is when Chris Evans sits down with Song Kang Ho and they share a cigarette 
yeah. just before they go into like the real upper class yeah. bit. The last cigarette in the world. And they talk about the death of Edgar. Yeah. And Edgar, Ed, Ed, oh, I liked Edgar. I really liked yeah. Jamie Bell. Um, he was really good. Yeah, enthusiastic. Yeah, he was. He was like, he was kind of like the, the cheerleader for the revolution. He'd yeah. be like, I'd like to think I'd be like him. Yeah. Um, where he was like, let's do it, let's do it, let's fuck these guys up. Yeah. We can't let them get away with this. I probably would have been some bloke who you never even saw, <laughs> who was just like, yeah, send a postcard, guys. I'm going to eat my protein bar, I don't care that it's insects. <laughs> Chris Evans tells one of the most horrible stories in all of modern cinema. Mm hmm. And I kept expecting a flashback. I kept expecting to see it because that's what films do in these important character moments. Because yeah. if you have to look at a guy's face while he tells a story for more than 50 seconds, you're obviously going to leave the cinema in disgust, um, call the director a cuck on Twitter and um, boycott Ghostbusters too. Whatever it is that these crazy people do. They don't, you know, they yeah. need pictures, pictures, distraction, distraction. Yeah. And it's just focused on his face. Mm. And that was the end, the moment when I realised Chris Evans I might actually be able to act. <laughs> Which yes. is, you know, it's nice. It's yeah. nice that he's got potential. He tells the story of the first days in the train mm. and all the terrible things that happened and them kind of being locked in and left to themselves in a very Darwinian sense. Yeah. And them starting to eat each other. Yes. Um, and he says, again, one of those quotable lines, I know what people taste like. I know that babies taste best. And I feel horrible just saying that. Yeah. That made my stomach flip. Yeah. That was gut-wrenching. Gut and he's your hero. Yeah. This is the guy who's leading your revolution. The other members of the revolution are dying off. I think John Hurt's dead by this point. Yeah. Um, I think Grey, his bodyguard, is dead. Edgar is dead. Mm -hmm. It's all falling on him. Yeah. And it's that hero's narrative of losing your companions, losing... Um, making the is this sort of the sacrifice in order to achieve your goal yes you, he's sacrificing friends to carry on up the train yeah and there's a couple moments where he has to decide whether he goes back and helps someone or carries on and keeps this revolution going before they can close the door yeah and he chooses the door yeah um, and he's a fucking horrible nasty person yeah or is he yeah this is the thing <laughs> he's in an incredibly horrible position yeah it's eat other people or die and be eaten yeah it's, it's, it's difficult to empathise with because it's not a position any of us have got any kind of experience no, living as no. that desperation yeah um, and that kind of desperation sadly does happen in the world mm -hmm. I think us in the west um, uh, or us in first world countries yeah. um, are sheltered from that kind of thing yes. we see it on the news we see it in documentaries um, we see it on the Daily Mail, but it's flipped round where it's those people's fault and fuck them. Yeah. And so... Because they've dealt with um, an asparagus famine, so they understand exactly how these people do, must have Do you have remember the great, um, the great avocado shortage of 2017? I know. It was, it was a hard time. Um, I did. Was, I had yeah. to eat a pear. You had to eat a pear? I know. I'm a fucking disgusting human being. I ate a pear. Pears are like British avocados, aren't they? Yeah, pretty much. So, just sort shit. Wet and miserable version here. I don't like pears. No, I fucking hate them. I like odd numbers. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, pears are rubbish, aren't they? Yeah, um, they are. They're one of the worst fruits. Yeah. I would genuinely rather eat pear drops than pears. <laughs> I think I'd almost rather eat a baby. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's this thing of, 
eat my arm from John Hurt. Eat my arm instead of the baby. Save the baby. And the baby is Edgar. And it's felt a little bit kind of trite. A little bit. That baby was him and now he's dead. Yeah. Um, but then you're looking back and going, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Because how did they get out of their, their hole? They came together. Yeah. They sacrificed for each other. It's a bit of a heavy-handed metaphor. But they work together to solve the problem and survive, not by being horrible and being shitty to each other. Yeah. It's good, right? Yeah. But at the same time, we've just completely had our legs taken out from under us and realised that... The person we're rooting for, actually... Is a horrible piece of shit. He's, yeah. He's eaten babies. I mean, that is yeah. probably the worst thing you can do. Yeah, yeah. Like, we have taboo about murder, we have taboo about cannibalism, and we have taboo about harming the young and the younger they are the worse that is yeah that's all of them yeah unless he had sex with the babies before he ate them i don't think it could be any worse this thing's cutting but you would hope a hero in that circumstance would be the one sacrificing their limbs for other people yeah he should have been one art he john hurt should be him at the front yeah and then we're like yes this is glorious yeah but then so john hurt is like this great figure and now we understand why he's respected and yet John Hurt's character isn't good, is he? No. Because the messages that came down right at the beginning, triggering this whole thing, were from Wilford at the front to the leader of the proletariat. Let's act as a safety valve. Let's let them get a little bit up the train, blow off steam. Some of them will die, which will thin out the numbers because they've been reproducing, which yeah. is fucking like eugenics and yeah. social Darwinism of the hor most horrible kind. Yeah. And then that goes wrong because he gets killed and therefore they can't stop it. Yeah. So this kind of controlled chaos. Mm. We get that idea of the dichotomy, and now I'm using proper wanker word. <laughs> the dichotomy um, of the Apollonian and the Dionysian based on Apollo and Dionysus, uh, the sons of Zeus. Apollo, the god of the sun, of order and logic. Dionysus, the god of wine and dance, of irrationality and chaos. And, you know, anyone who's ever played D&D knows that law and chaos sit opposite each other on the axis of personalities. Yeah. Uh, then spread thin by uh, good and evil. And I like to think of myself as a chaotic good person. Hmm. I, I always did. I always thought I'm chaotic good. I, I, I don't care what the rules are. I'll always do what is right, what helps people. Yeah. Um, and that's what I want. I think I might actually be lawful evil. Yeah. I'm just kidding myself. <laughs> um, but we've got this idea of Dionysus. You'd have these moments. You'd like you have carnival or you have uh, Mardi Gras yeah. or you have feast days. Um, days where you act or you have like masks where you, you put yeah. on literal masks and you are someone else. And lots of cultures have this throughout history. Where you have something where you're not yourself and you act in a different way. Yeah. Even that idea of like Christmas time, where if you're in the army, the officers serve the troops rather than mm -hmm. the other way round. Is it Boxing Day where the servants get their presents and they have a day off? Yes. So you've got this idea of like reversing society and letting people you just have a little bit of chaos. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit of chaos. And it kind of sorts you out and then you go back to your order and it kind of blows off steam. Yeah. But it hasn't worked. No. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and it made me think of, especially the offer that Wilfred makes at the end, you can be in charge now and make everything go back to how it was. Yeah. 
this was needed. We needed to kill the numbers. We needed to keep the... Yeah, we're going to kill the, 74% of the train and then we have enough sushi for the people at the front to eat for yeah. a bit. Well, and the protein bars. Protein they bars, didn't have yeah. Enough for those yeah that was one eat. of the things. Yeah, we've not got enough protein bars. Yeah. I've got some protein bars in the, uh, in the cupboard. Yeah. Well, store them up for when that train turns up. I haven't um, become a gym wanker. Honest. I don't go to the gym. I just... Like the heavy thing in, in my front room, the heavy thing being myself. <laughs> I lift myself emotionally and then I eat protein bars <laughs> because I've cried too much. I feel, mm-hmm. and people may disagree with me, and if you disagree with me, that's fine, but I feel that class and where you're born is the biggest determiner of where you end up in life. Yeah. And that's backed up by some research yeah, it is. Uh, in various places. If you are born poor, you're more likely to die poor than someone who was born rich. Yeah. And when I say rich, I mean like comfortably middle class. And we have a system in this country where if you uh, go to private schools, then you are much more likely to get into the top universities or Mm -hmm. into the top professions. Uh, You only need to take a look at the recent flood of British actors to go to Hollywood. And that's great. It's like, yay, go British people who have a completely different social class to myself and Aaron and who we would never have met in the course of our normal lives. Um, because they're all publicly educated and they've been able to afford to do fuck all for 10 years yeah. while they progress their careers. Yeah. Whereas working people like us, I moved out when I was 17 and got a fucking job because otherwise I'd have died. Yeah. I sound really bitter now. No, I think it's fine to be bitter. Cool. I will be Lemon Boy from now on <laughs> and you will be my citrus friend. Um, <laughs> Lime lad. They let a couple people up and mm. then they can point at them and go, this person made it. They yeah. were good enough. You're not. Sorry. And that's kind of what they're doing. Yeah. They give you... These days we've got loads of rights and freedoms. We can... Um, we can go on Twitter and abuse people. Yeah. We can have sex with whoever we like as long as they say yes and they're old enough. We can marry anyone. I can marry anyone now as long yeah. as they're 17 or over. Yeah. I can marry anyone. These are all great things, but we still live in a shitty system that oppresses people, mm-hmm. and a shitty system that isn't good for the majority of people, and a system where over the last 20 years, the people at the top have got much, much richer, and the people at the bottom have comparatively got much, much poorer. Yeah. So, yes, we've had loads of social progress, but economically, we're actually going backwards. Yes. Um, and it felt, it gave me... That kind of feel. It's like, right, mm. you can be the one person that comes to the top. Yeah. And actually, it's because you're a terrible person and that's how you got here. Yeah. You were willing to let Edgar die. You ate the babies 20 years ago. Um, you were willing to sacrifice 74% yeah. of your friends and families. Um, and it has this kind of, this idea of the Superman. Mm. The Ubermensch. From um, Nietzsche, again. Mm-hmm. It feels a bit undergrad, doesn't it? I keep mentioning Nietzsche. It's a big <laughs> thing when I was at university. Yeah. Uh, but the idea is the uh, the guy who is beyond man, he's beyond common morals. He's beyond, you know, he makes the big decisions. And, yeah. Uh, he's uh, super, uh, you know, he's better than the, the rest of... He ate that baby, but it's because he's better than everybody else it needed to survive. Yeah. yeah. And if we take Wilford to be the creator of the sacred engine, well, the creator of the thing that gives people life is God. He is taking the place of God. And the Ubermensch is tied into the idea of the death of God. And you become your own God. Mm-hmm. You are your God. Um, which, you know, if you're a 
if you're a non-theistic Satanist, then that's a thing that actually people do believe. They have their yes. own God. Yeah. Because they are the only thing that they know is real. And yeah. Subsequently, they must be the same. Well, not there, no, so it's not doubting the reality of other people, but your own no, happiness yeah, yeah. comes first. Yes. Uh, it's probably a bit, yeah. bit of a better way of saying that. Although there is a very... There is an underlying of you, you don't treat other people how you wouldn't want to be treated. Yeah, you will respect each other. Yeah, it because always reminds me of cats. Yeah, yeah. I you are the centre of the universe, you but also you are the centre of your own universe, and so we will treat each other as if that is the case and be yeah. respectful. Yeah. But it does have the thing: if someone crosses you, then you destroy them utterly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. At least if you're a Levian non-theistic. Yeah. Say it. <laughs> he's because he's transcended, hasn't he? He's yeah. cast off his old life because everyone's fucking dead. Yeah. Um, he's made it to the front. He's meeting God and taking God's place. Yes. And who is it that have been sacrificed in order to keep everyone alive? Well, it's the children in yet another heavy handed metaphor. I didn't say this film was perfect, um, <laughs> but another heavy handed metaphor. The children are our future and here they are getting consumed uh, in order to keep things running. Mm. And we live it. Oh I keep saying this. I feel a bit like we fucked up the planet. Yeah. And it's the kids that's going to suffer. And if you go back to the 80s and the idea of climate change, if the, the earth is going to be a big ball of fire yeah. in 50 years' time, well, I'll be dead, but my kids and my grandchildren will be there. Yeah. And we've sacrificed their world for flat screen TVs and easy refrigerators. Yeah. So, again, that's a bit heavy handed. A touch I didn't really feel while I was watching it as though it was very heavy handed yeah. so thinking back at it now well yeah. uh, since watching it probably wouldn't say now because I've thought it before yeah the metaphors are very clear and distinct yeah kind of thing rather than but this is also an action film where shit blows up and people are firing guns and yeah. there's brutal hand to hand combat I love the action in there we haven't even talked about the action in there so I think <laughs> we're beyond that now now what did you expect to happen at that point I, for a little while at that end point, thought he genuinely was going to take over. Yeah. I found Ed Harris's character to actually be very convincing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is what the people in the best place say to the people in the worst place. You know, keep your place. But they are the last remnants of humanity. That ecosystem is very fragile. Yeah. Slight thing out of place and everything dies. Yeah. But I thought maybe he'll, maybe he'll, he might not take the deal. But he's going to, you know, set fire to Ed Harris. Yeah. Take over and have a fairer, more equal train. Yeah. So there'll be some positive from it. Lots of people have died, but you've got a better, fairer, more equal train. That's cool, isn't it? That's what I thought would happen, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that would be the thing. He'll he, he'll take the offer or he won't take the offer, but he'll be, take that position anyway. He'll yeah. lead the train into a, a bright future, happy ending. Yeah. That's great, isn't it? Yeah. See, I didn't think that. What did you, what, what were you thinking? Then? You thought he'd take the offer? And I thought, yeah, he would either A, take the offer and the system would just keep running as it was because yeah. that's what humanity needs to survive, or B, not quite in the same way as it happened, but what happened in the film. Yeah. Fuck humanity, essentially. Yeah. So he doesn't take the deal. And they instead decide to blow open the doors of the train because they think the snow is melting. Yes. The drugged up guy, who isn't on the same planet as the rest of us, reckons he saw a plane slowly emerging out of the snow. Yeah. You're going to listen to that guy. But yeah, so you're going to listen to the person who's been Yeah, because there's some snowflakes that come in through the a thing. Window, just, yeah. just going, oh, identity politics. And I kind of felt 
a little bit like like they had to eat babies at the front. Mm-hmm. The people uh, sorry at the back. Right, yeah. The people at the front. They have to. They have to continue this oppressive system to make sure that everyone is fed and watered and kept safe. Yeah. Now the system is oppressive and horrible, but they have to maintain order. Mm-hmm. Going all the way back to Tilda Swinton, who's long since dead at this point. Yeah. Uh, going back to her speech. What keeps us safe? Order. Yeah. Because we're talking about. If you're using this thing as an extended metaphor for people, the train is a system. It's a machine. Yeah. And a machine works in a certain way, and if you mess that up, it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. But then you look back like 500 years ago and we thought that King Henry VIII was great and yeah. he should just decide, you know, which women got to keep their heads and which ones didn't. Yeah, and that was a system and it works. And it worked. We needed and then people probably go, that's fine, that's fine. And actually, you needed to, you know, chop the head off a king and then kind of meet a compromise, a muddied compromise. Yeah. We're British and we just kind of get bored eventually and go, okay, yeah, you've got a point. Um <laughs> We just go full French and murder everyone. Yeah. And then murder the people that murdered the people and then murder the murderers of the murderers. Um, and then go on strike. And then go on strike, yeah. But it works. Well, that stops the murder, at least, if all the executioners are on strike. That's true. You've got order. You've got you've got complete total order, which is stifling and people can't survive and, and there are definite losers. Yeah. And people abuse it so they can sit at the front eating foie gras and smoked salmon and the people at the bottom have to eat insect bits. Yeah. Or each other. You've got chaos where everything's on fire. Yeah. And that's bad as well. And so it's like, let, let's meet in the middle. Let's yeah. have a happy medium. A smiling Yuri Geller. Um, <laughs> and so we've got this middle bit. And I've kind of, although I kind of side with the, the chaotic people at the back. Yeah. I think as I've grown older, I drifted more to the middle mm-hmm. and try to see both sides and... And have compromise and work a peaceful solution out yeah. rather than being sort of angry and wanting to poke people in the eye and, and that kind of thing. But it doesn't happen, does it? No. Because they blow the doors off the freaking train. Yep. He's only supposed to blow the fucking door off. Which he did. What did he also do, Aaron? What do you mean? Blow the train off the yeah. tracks? And... I mean, if you're still with us, you've definitely watched the film. <laughs> Unless you're possibly my favourite people to ever listen to the podcast. You're great. Um, <laughs> you just love the sound of our voices. So they blow the entire fucking train up. Yep. Everybody dies apart from uh, the Korean girl mm-hmm. and the young black boy who step off and see a polar bear. And then the fucking film ends and everyone's dead. Yeah. <laughs> What's that about then? <laughs> Because we've, we've set this up as a film that at every turn we're looking at what's happening and we're saying, oh, it's kind of saying this and it's kind of commenting this way. And yeah. It's got this idea. And we could be guilty of projecting onto it. But there are things that it says that I disagree with that I can still spot. I, I think it's still carrying on that thing. You're watching the whole film from this is how order works. That's fucking horrible. And yeah. then the end of the film is the extreme chaos end of things. Yeah. Well, that doesn't work either because everybody's now dead. Yeah. So is it saying that that middle ground is where things need to be by giving you an extreme example at the end? I think so. Because my problem with that is that at the beginning, everyone's still alive. They may have a shitty life, but it's better to have a shitty life than no life. Are their lives really that bad? They have to eat insects. They don't have to eat babies anymore. Yeah, for now. Yeah. Although arguably, and then get murdered in order to have enough things in order to function. Yeah. Now, 
this is a, this is a thing. Um, I've come across this in someone else before. I don't know if you've read World War Z. Yeah, I've read World War, World War Z. I refuse to call it World War Z. Well, you know, it's an American written book, so I'll yeah, give it but I'm true British title. and I will use English correctly. <laughs> so this is the Redica plan. Just want that. to remind you, it's called English. Yes. Cool. Carry on. The Redica plan. Ameri- Ameri-ish. Ameridlish. Ameridlish. There's some stupid people on the internet who think I think I went out with her when I was about 16. She was goth girl. (laughs) Purple eyeliner. Yeah. Yeah, so there's the Redica plan, which is very similar. Yeah. In order for humanity to survive, they need to take people away in cities that Mm. have got no zombies in it, that they've reinforced, kept safe. But then they've got millions or billions of zombies that are then going to attack those cities. So what do they do to counteract that? They allow little pockets of humanity surviving places to act as bait. They'll be kept survive. They'll kept survivable. Food, water, the bare minimum to keep them going. Yeah. And, and alive in order to keep these things that are going to destroy humanity away from this particular pocket of specially chosen people. Yeah. It's the only way for humanity to survive. Doesn't mean there's any less of a shitty thing to do. And, and this is that weird. You, you've got kind of like two choices at that point in time. Do you kind of sacrifice? The human an aspect of humanity in order to keep humanity alive. Would you say fuck it? Fuck yeah. a lot of them, which is I think was kind of what this film almost felt like it was saying by yeah. the end of it. It's like with us, your attitude. Fuck a lot of you. It's a kind of means justify the ends thing, isn't it? Yeah, and that's a, a debate that we've been having for centuries. Yeah, I, um, I I personally, although I have had times where I've gone, I can understand that position. I think I personally feel that no it doesn't yeah see I can't help but think that things would have been okay if they'd have just stayed at the back of the fucking train and not pissed about Aaron <laughs> in the grand scheme of things but they would still have had to cull 74% of them in order to keep the rest of them alive yeah well that number came because they damaged bits of the train and stuff hadn't they they weren't oh, yeah, really standard, going yeah, it, it kept increasing high. didn't it yeah it's difficult because we're looking at it from this kind of right or wrong perspective yeah. Or arguably, kind of both were right in their own respective places. Is there no such thing as right and wrong? It's just what happens. Yeah. But then, how do you ever make a decision? You you can only ever make the decision that's best for you at that particular given moment. Best for in time. you, best for yourself. I would argue yes, because I'm quite naive and arguably think that inherently humankind can actually consider are empathetic to each other yeah so, so you, do you believe I would consider that ultimately the average person is a good person yeah I'd say so. I, even though I've seen the yeah. I've seen evidence otherwise because I personally think that the average person is is a selfish horrible thing there, there is a large part of me that does genuinely believe that yeah but I like inherently can't because if that's the case is, is that some kind of false consciousness put, that you project in order to not put a bullet yourself? in my head yeah yeah essentially sorry if Aaron dies <laughs> uh, this podcast is dedicated uh, to Aaron Tallulah Rivinsky <laughs> yeah no we're going to get quite dark territory now actually. it is um, um, but, it's yeah, a no, it's, fucking dark film that's yeah. why man yeah that's the thing it's, it's kind of we come away from it going reevaluate yeah. certain things process perspectives yeah. I've not watched a film that's made me question things as much as this since I watched Fight Club when I was like 14, mm. 15. Something like that. It's very young. It just made me like reconsider my cheerleading for the oppressed poor people at the back because they fucking died in the end. They didn't get what they wanted. They didn't get anything better because they were dead. Yeah. 
I suppose what we want was that happy medium, didn't yes. it? Where he gets to the front and he makes things better for everyone. Yeah. But then he's still got to make that decision. If there's not enough food and this number of people need to die... How do you choose that? How do you do that? Yeah. yeah. How does that work? And you can't just blow the back, back of the train off, which I think is what happens in the comics, because they produce things that are needed further down the train. It's more of an integrated ecosystem. So I found it quite complicated. Yeah, I definitely. still don't quite know what I think. <laughs> yeah. I think it was interesting... Yes. I do worry that it's a really conservative film because you could take the message to say if you don't stick in your place and you don't be a shoe and you think you're a hat, everyone will die. Fucking stop it. Sit down at the back. But then there is also that, although possibly sort of slightly comic booky naive ray of hope at the end, yeah. there are still two people left alive ah. and they have seen living things on the planet, which means the planet isn't dead. Yeah. So... I read something today that went, oh, look at that new multicultural couple that are starting a new life and got really annoyed at the fact that it was the Korean girl and the black boy. Like, when he's old enough, the two of them will repopulate the earth and they'll have chocolate-coloured babies. (laughs) And it'll be, yeah, and these these weren't nice people (laughs) that were writing about things. Wow. Yeah. And they, they, they were like, oh, it's got this SJW... Agenda, and anyone who uses the term SJW pejoratively is, is you know, just just go sit in a corner and think about what you did. I just laughed when I read that because I was like, no, there's two people left in the world, yeah, yeah, yeah just and pop. they're about to get eaten by a polar bear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't have anything to survive. Like, cool, they could hunt a polar bear. What's he gonna what? do? Beat it to death with the child? Yeah, like. Kids, kids' heads are notoriously soft. I don't think it's going to work. He can't lift her to beat the bear to death with her. Because kids' arms are notoriously soft. Yeah, they're, they're, they um, they don't form the right kind of muscle. That's why they're, they're kind of stringy, which means they don't get muscle tears, but they don't have as much raw power. Yeah. Um, and it allows them to grow. Proper science, this. Um, <laughs> also, genetically, even if they were to happen to be able to survive for a long while and start to propagate and have children... The inbreeding would wipe the species out within a couple of generations anyway. And she'd be getting, she'd like, if he's got, say, eight years, I suppose she'd be about 30. Yeah, they've got got a few breeding years. But they're probably not going to survive that long. They're going to die horribly. Yeah. There might be a few other people left in the train. Yeah, potentially. But this looks shit. Yeah. Um, It just looks horrible. Yeah. Um, I I think it was meant to symbolise that things can go on and survive kind of thing. Again, possibly a little overly heavy-handedly. God, look, the sun rising on life on the planet kind of thing, but But, in a sort of conscientious thought about it. Yeah, what they needed were like 400 stems of potato plants sticking out the snow. Mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose there's a polar bear. The polar bear's got to eat a thing that's got to eat a thing that's got to eat a thing. Yeah, And at some point in that chain, there'll be some things that you can eat somewhere. But even that, it kind of implies... Because the whole process is all about climate change. Yeah. And that we change that ecosystem and that balance that it destroys everything. Okay. So it went from hot, too hot to too too cold. cold, And now it's kind of Because we didn't understand our place. Removed from it for the most part, the planet recovers. And then those two come in to regain their place as part of the ecosystem... This is deeper than than I thought, Aaron. Yeah, this is this is some complex. This stuff. this well, this is a thing. Always find with well, possibly, but this is a thing you find with green policies inherently anyway. 
is that as a species on a whole, I mean, you're not necessarily individually, although I can definitely say I'm destroying the planet. We're, we're destroying the planet. We're, we're yeah. not fitting into the, the, the system properly. Yeah, we have actually become the dementia above God if yeah. you take God to be creation. And yeah. we've, we've kind of transcended that and we can we do can... what we like with the planet, yeah. really. Change its genetic code, chop it down and destroy it when we need to, plant stuff in places not meant to be, bring animal species across... So, yeah, so it's been a long time since I finished a film going, what the fuck just happened? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and I'm still thinking about it now, and I haven't watched the film for, like, a month. Yeah. It's still on my brain. I'm still not 100% sure what I think about it. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Yes. Because it's making me think about stuff. Yeah, it's And a lot of people don't like to think their own thoughts. A lot of people get worried about that. Yeah. People, I, I genuinely hear people say, oh, I didn't like that, it made me think. Yeah, I don't. I didn't like it. Or there's too much thinking involved. Yeah, well, this, this is okay. Well, I just want to press the off button and yeah. That's why Facebook algorithms work. You only want to reaffirm your own opinions, and you don't want to ever listen to anybody else. So Facebook just shows you the same stuff. I fits with your opinion. I, I do I'm, delete people from Facebook if they post things that I don't like. Yeah, so repeatedly. Right. Yeah, is it crave an echo chamber. Yeah, I just want to, to be comforted. To a certain, yeah. I like being uncomfortable. Yeah, I do. I prefer to be challenged and think about. Because then my brain's awake and it, like, I feel a bit alive. Yeah. Like, you don't always feel alive. No, just, if I get reaffirmed everything I think I know, then I'm just living pointlessly. Yeah. And confirmation bias will suggest that eventually I'll work this out and I'll just feel better about my normal beliefs anyway. So that's fine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's good. That's all right there. Yeah. And then you feel better because you've thought it through. Yeah. And then you're more secure in your moral superiority. Yes. I'm trying to think of other films that made me feel that way. Uh, Martyrs is a film I've mentioned several times on various podcasts. Yeah. Um, have you watched it yet? No. Ah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna do that. God. <laughs> it's fine. It'll only upset you for about a year, and then you'll you'll be fine. <laughs> and what's a year cool. between friends? <laughs> We'd known look each other far longer than Look that. for a quiet podcast year. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, just no Aaron anymore. I mean, we've already got rid of Colin. Joe's not been on the podcast for a bit. Jamie's Jamie's just gone, man. Yeah. We, we, we don't know where. Um, if you see a very tall man with a lot of technical skill, um, let us know. <laughs> the Mist! you seen The Mist? Yeah, I've seen The Mist. Yeah, yeah. The ending yeah. of The Mist is like the most horrible thing ever. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, to summarise then. <laughs> um, I think Snowpiercer is a great film. Yes. I think it's a real shame they didn't get to find its audience. Yeah. People tend to see science fiction as kind of nerd stuff and it's just kind of throwaway. It's got a superhero guy in it. So it's just going to be a bit of a superhero thing. It's going to be a blockbuster and yeah. things are going to explode. And actually, I think there's a lot more to it. Yeah, I don't think necessarily it's the most coherent thing uh, in the world, um, both tonally. I enjoyed the tone shift yeah. for the most part. Um, I don't think it necessarily is massively consistent, philosophically speaking. I think it's all over the place. But that's what makes it interesting to me, is that yeah. you can go, oh, that was weird, that's not what I expected, yeah. oh, what do I think about that? And it's kind of, you know, it's tricky yeah. in that way. And I like that, that's fine. Yeah. I'll have some of that. Um, rather than a, a nice, neat idea uh, packaged up in a bow. Yeah. I remember when I uh, 
when I was getting a lot of writing done and I was getting some of my friends to read my short stories and one of my friends refused to read my stories because he was like, there's never a happy ending. <laughs> he was like, I don't want to read any more miserable endings. Just put a happy ending in. I was like, no, <laughs> no, I don't want, I don't like happy endings. And I don't know why. I, I was, wasn't hugged enough as a child. Possibly. Maybe I was hugged too much. Yes. That's, that's actually the only two types of people. There's no left or right. There was hugged too much and hugged not enough. Yes. I feel there's more... Yeah, I feel this. I feel there's more, more roundness, more realness to something that goes. There isn't one extreme or the other. There has. There is always something in the middle. I Princess Mononoke is one of my favourite animes. Yeah. Um, because it does exactly that. Every time mm. it introduces somebody, you think he's going to be the bad guy. It gives them a really good reason for why they're doing the horrible thing they're doing, and you go, oh, okay, I completely understand. But there needs yeah. to be something better done about what you're doing. There needs to be a Balance. I suppose it's not a piece of propaganda for a certain worldview. Mm. It's not something that has a very simple, clear message and is there to project that message. Yeah. It goes, ah, oh, look at all this stuff. Have a think about it. And then kills everyone and fucks off. <laughs> so Snowpiercer, a complicated film. Mm. Um, maybe we are projecting and the people out there see things in a different way. Yeah. Maybe... They think that we're just chatting absolute bollocks and this film is a shallow piece of throwaway trash that didn't deserve 150 uh, extra cinemas. It should never have come out at all. And everyone should hang their head in shame um, and go sit at the back of the train. And I'd say, Weinstein, while you're listening to our podcast, please go away. What, what do you think? Let us know in the comments, mm. wherever you may find this, be that on Facebook, whether you find the link on Twitter, whether you find us on YouTube, whether you find us on SoundCloud, whether you find us on Podbean or iTunes or what is the one that I use? Podcast Addict. That's what I use. Or carefully inscribed on a stone tablet and uh, passed down from a mountaintop by your local bearded gentleman. Yeah, wipe the snow off it <laughs> and... Uh, Carve your own response. Yes. But be careful lest you carve too hard and break the sacred words. <laughs> yeah, let us know what you uh, what you think. Uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Or maybe the week after. We'll be back soon with another podcast. Yeah. Probably on some form of gaming. Yeah. I've just bought a huge, great big gaming PC. Yes. Uh, so we'll probably be talking about some of the things what I've been doing with that. Um, and I've also bought, Aaron doesn't know this, I've bought us a board game to play. Ooh. Um, and then we might talk about that. Cool. And I've also been role-playing with a group that is not my usual group. Bastard. I'm cheating on my typical role-play group uh, with a whole bunch of new people, so I might we might talk about that as well. That would be quite, could be quite good. We haven't been meeting your needs, to be fair. It's our, it's our own fault. We have. I've looked for my needs to be fulfilled outside of the traditional structure of the relationship, what we already have, um, and that is my freedom. If you enjoyed that, please feel free to like, share and subscribe. We will love you forever. Um, until next time, uh, I have been thoroughly confused. And I have not had my worldviews challenged. Fuck. I really wish I had your security, man. I always felt jealous of people that had like religious faith and were yeah. just like, God says no. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, but is there a God? <laughs> what if I said yes? What's the worst that could happen? Like... Like if it all went wrong, do you think they could get the hamster out before it suffocated? <laughs> it's it's really hard. I've 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 never had that certainty. Um, so, uh, see me see us next time for my continued quest for meaning. <laughs> um, we'll catch you catch you next time.
Goodbye. <laughs>